Well, good morning. I'm, my eyes are beginning to adjust to have faces again. I don't know if you're like, um, we are, uh, our recyc- we recycle cans, and um, our recycler asks us to take the labels off. Now, all of you that are obsessive compulsive up there are really going to want to come up and pick this up, aren't you? Uh, have you ever noticed that when we are kids, people will project lies upon us, and they'll become labels of who we are? So we might have someone convey the idea or say it that we're stupid. And those labels, those lies that we take on, just like the label on this can, it's hard to get off. It's hard to get that last part of the label off. It's hard to shed those lies. And then what happens as we go into adulthood is those lies can end up driving us in some of our behaviors. You might have seen the movie called Swimming Upstream. If you haven't and you feel emotionally strong, it conveys a very dysfunctional family where the father is an alcoholic and the mother is uh, an enabling wife. And there's a scene where the father says to one of his sons, he says, you are far too weak. And I wish I could do the expression for you, but I didn't feel it was appropriate to show the clip today uh, with any kids in the room. He says, you are far too weak. You make me feel ashamed. He says, I wish you didn't exist. What labels do you think stuck to this son? I'm weak. I'm worthless. My life is of no value. Whatever I do, it won't be enough. My worth is based on my performance. These are the lies that his son carried into adulthood. Always striving for his father's approval. He ended up with the approval syndrome. Bruce and I are now working at Portland Rescue Mission full-time, and there was a woman there who had been a foster child. And she took this label on as though she had it across her forehead, foster child. And what that meant to her, it meant, I'm bad, I'm no good, my foster parents don't want me, they're in it for the money, foster kids are stupid, and foster kids don't have a mom and dad. And as I had listened to her story, I knew that she did have a mom and dad, and I pointed that out to her, and it was like a whole revelation of this lie that she had been carrying with her since the age of six when her mom was tragically killed in a fire, and she's now 54. Although her mom had died at a young age and her father had been uh, away from home a lot and she had to go into foster care, she still did have a mom and dad. And yet she carried these lies that she felt that if she walked into a room, if she walked in here today, that we would all know that she was a foster child and that she was no good. Sometimes those labels that we wear, the lies that we believe, come into our lives in more subtle ways. A lot of things, as you've heard, are caught 
not taught, and maybe not with words, but implications and expectations that other people put upon, put upon us. In, with the Sunday school teachers this morning, there were a couple of them that talked about this performance space that they had been raised in and where they never felt they could quite achieve enough. And so that's driving their lives now. The lies like these are the ones that can oftentimes keep us from taking the risk of truly getting involved in the body of Christ in the way that God intends. And I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment as I pray and ask God to show you what might be even one lie that you have believed for years and years that may be affecting your effectiveness in ministry. And Father, I just ask you right now that you would bring to all of our minds those lies that may be uh, holding us back, uh, keeping us in that state of a lack of confidence and uh, preventing us from being the men and women that you would want us to be. So the question comes, how do I gain a sense of value? Today, as we take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see that God's ideal for the body of Christ is that in exercising our spiritual gifts, we will gain that sense of personal value. And not just a sense, but we will really know our true value in Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read what the passage says here. I've taken out parts of this chapter that have to do with specific gifts because we're talking big picture today of the body of Christ. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works for all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the context of the Corinthians is that there were many divisions in the church and that they, there was confusion as to how spiritual gifts should be used in the large public assembly and to avoid confusion and to have harmony within the body of Christ. So God's truth in this passage refutes three lies that we're going to look at today and ones that we commonly carry with us. The first one is I have no purpose in life. The second, I don't belong. And the third, I'm not good enough. Now, the first verses, four through seven, illustrate that the body of Christ is full of diversity in the light of unity. And that unity is not dependent on us, but it is the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God, or the Trinity that we sang about recently that undergirds all of us. Yet there's a vast variety of our roles within the body of Christ. The word gift here is charisma, coming from charis, which means grace. And so these are special gifts of grace from God to us. The other word for service, ministry, is the word that we use for deacon. And finally, the word for working reflects that there's an effect, there's an outworking of our faith and an operation that is powered by God and by Jesus Christ. So again, not only is the unity dependent on us, the unity, the, 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 the diversity uh, also is dependent on the, on the design and power of God working in the body of Christ. So God weaves this eternal uh, tapestry, and it tells us that he works all things in all people. All things in all people. Who does that leave out? These words speak of God's eternal purpose for us, but many, even within the body of Christ, uh, end up circling aimlessly. Uh, a friend, friend of ours calls them, we have the pillars of the church and the caterpillars, and the caterpillars crawl in on Sunday and then they crawl back out again and you never see them. And so they're circling in their faith and haven't really gotten involved in what's going on. Many, many of us, even in the body of Christ, may tend to think that we have no purpose in our lives. The other day I talked with a, a woman and she said, I'm 45 and I'm just nowhere in my life. Other people my age have it so much more together. I have a job I don't like and I don't know how I'll afford to go out and pay for an apartment. I feel like it's too late and this is just how the rest of my, my life is going to be. So she was without hope. And yet in verse 4, we see that to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit within the body of Christ for the common good. And manifestation means that visible, living image of Christ that we carry with us. And no one in the body of Christ is exempt. 
We are brought together in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We are brought together with the purpose of being profitable for each other for the common good and to bear one another's burdens. And so this woman was focusing on the temporal events of her life rather than taking a look at the big picture of what God has planned for her. So we need to turn to the person next to you and say, God is the source of my purpose, and my purpose is to use my gifts for your good. My purpose is to use my gifts for your good. So turn to the person next to you and say that. My purpose is to use my gifts for your good. (laughs) The, The second lie is I don't belong. Now, I'm sure that a lot of us have walked into a room at some time or another where an event is going on and we say, oh, I I do not belong here. I used to feel that way when Bruce was working in in private industry and they would have a company party and I'd walk in not knowing hardly anybody and, and feeling I don't belong here. The trouble is, is that a lot of us somehow act as though we don't belong in the body of Christ. Love and belonging are key needs for us. From the time we're born, we are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually affected by whether or not we have that sense of belonging. Babies who are cuddled and children who grow up with playfulness, children who are comforted when they cry and affirmed for who they are, not just what they can do, will believe that they are wanted and loved. Contrast that earlier woman who had the foster care label across her forehead. She was moved from home to home with no sense of being wanted or any sense of permanence. In these verses 11 through 20, it's as though Paul has a digital camera and he, he trades off zo- zooming in to look, if you picture a, a group of people like you, if I zoomed in on one person, he, he alternates that with then zooming out and getting a picture of the whole body of Christ. That this word for body is an interesting word because it's the same word that is used for Jesus Christ in the Gospels, except for one thing, and I want you to listen carefully. Between the time that Jesus died and the time that he rose again, another word for body is used, and that word means corpse. We are not the corpse of Christ. You and I have probably gone into churches at times where we kind of wondered, is this a corpse? Is this body of believers alive or not? But that's not what we are. We are body with that word that means the living Christ. We are the living body of Christ in this world. God's intent is clear in verses 18 and 19 where it says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So we are very good at comparing ourselves. And it's an interesting image if you picture a a body that's only an eye or a body that's only an ear. Uh, It brings up some interesting images in my mind. The... When we compare ourselves to other people, we will always lose, won't we? 
If I compare myself and say, I don't belong because I can't preach like Pastor Kurt, or I don't belong because I'm not as creative as Ruthie Burris, and, or I don't belong because I can't sing as well as Andy and Hannah can, or I don't belong because I can't run the sound system like Scott does, then we end up getting deflated and defeated in our Christian life. What we need to see is God has been purposeful, like an artist, like that potter with the clay, a very deliberate in his forethought, in his planning, in his will, and in his sovereignty to assure our presence and our position in the body of Christ. We each have a unique identity here in the body of Christ. We belong. We need to see that from Christ's point of view, from God's point of view, each one of us that knows him belongs. We can have that security and sense of belonging. And that's what nourishes us, and he continues to confirm our belonging here. The third lie is, I'm not good enough. How many times have I heard someone say that this is the lie that they have carried through their life? Many of us don't know what a grace-based family would be to live in, that we, most of us have been brought up on performance base, and most of the, the good words that come our way may tend to be more on what we do rather than on who we are. And so sometimes we can end up with that lie in our heads that says, I'm never good enough. Our own self-critical eyes also will bring us to that conclusion that you are lacking. I grew up in a home with two alcoholic parents, and uh, my mom had the tendency to major on the minors. And so one example was that she didn't like me to wear bangs and, and with my hair. And so she would harangue me and harangue me till I made the decision to, to grow my hair out. Now, this seems like a really silly example and a seemingly simple incident, but it ended up leaving me very self-conscious and wondering, where else am I not measuring up in my life? So there's a lot of subtle ways, too, that this can come into our thinking. So let me ask you the key question. Do you believe that God is unable to compensate for any way that any of us doesn't measure up. Let me repeat that. Do you believe that God is unable to compensate for any way that we might not measure up? Is he a big enough God? And if we look at the last part of, the, of this passage from 21 to 27, what we'll see is that the picture here is that God can take something that is unseemly or unpresentable, and he can morph it into comeliness, which means elegance and figure, well-formed and graceful. That's the image that is here. So he takes the bumps out of the divine playing field, and he levels that playing field so that none of us can boast and none of us can uh, look down or judge somebody else within the body of Christ. He brings them to where he establishes all of us in the body of Christ as people of value, people of great price, and people worthy of honor. 
I am humbled, especially coming to Christ so late in life at 36, of how he has done amazing things in the lives of our family. Our personal value in Christ isn't anything that we've done, so we just cannot boast. We are in Christ, and we are proof of his grace. In verse 25, he says he does this so that there are no divisions in the body of Christ. We have unity in the midst of our vast diversity. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We can discard that lie that for some reason we aren't measuring up. So the way we gain our sense of value and our true value in Christ is that we experience God's purpose for us, We discover our unique identity in Christ, that we do belong, and we discover, we know that God gives us our value even when we think we are lacking. So knowing all this, what are you going to do? Ephesians 2.10 says that we we are God's workmanship, that he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned in advance for us to do. So we have that choice to not take the risk, not stick our necks out, or we have the chance to see that the God of the universe will catch us even when we fall. When I worked as director of women's ministry at a large church in Eugene for 11 years, over that time, people would occasionally come to me and they would say, I just don't feel comfortable asking someone to do something in ministry. And I I would say to them, "It, it doesn't bother me. I ask people to do things in ministry because what I am holding out to them is the opportunity to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're told we are not our own. We were bought at a price, meaning Christ's death on the cross. I want to give you a practical example of what it means when we in the body of Christ work together. Suppose that you have seven people over for dinner, and each one just happens to have a different motivational gift. And these are the the seven gifts that are in Romans 12. You are bringing three salad plates to the table when one slips from your grip and crashes to the floor, scattering bits of glass and salad in one big mess. The prophet says, well, that's what happens when you try to carry too many plates. The server says, I'll clean it up. The teacher says, the reason you dropped that plate was that it was just not balanced properly. The exhorter says, next time, let someone help you carry those plates. The giver says, I'll be glad to help you make another salad. The compassion person says, don't feel embarrassed. It could happen to anyone. And the administrator says, John, get the Brema dishpan. Sally, bring the Montmarie. Help me fix another salad. That's the way of God's ideal for the body of Christ. And the class that we're inviting you to on Saturday will not only have you look at what your strongest giftings are, but will also take a look at how our gifting 
colors the way we approach life. We'll go through some real-life scenarios and bring you together with other people that have the same gifting as you do. And, and it's really fun to see and very affirming that our, the way we look at life is very much colored by our spiritual gifting. It's, it's harmonizing in the body of Christ. It's harmonizing within marriages because some of those things that drive you crazy about your spouse, you look a little closer and you say, well, I guess that really is a part of what their gifting is. So they're okay after all. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you on Saturday. Amen.